0: Chapter two Part two of the Markets of Paris by Emile Zola. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Miser's Treasure Part two. The house and shop both prospered. One daughter was born a year after their marriage. Everything went smoothly, as Lisa was an excellent manager, and her system was perfect. Husband, wife, and child grew fat together. Quenu alone had his hours of sadness when he thought of poor Florent in eighteen fifty six letters came to him then followed a long silence and quenu saw by the papers that three convicts had been drowned in attempting to make their escape from the isle du diable he applied to the head of police but could learn no further particulars his brother was probably dead and yet he cherished a gleam of hope florent who was wandering in dutch guiana delayed writing as he determined each day to start on the next for france quenu at last made up his mind that his brother was dead lisa had never known florent but she listened kindly to all her husband had to say she heard him describe for the hundredth time the room in la rue royer collard where the brothers had lived together the innumerable trades he had tried the dishes he cooked on the stove she listened quietly with infinite sympathy it was amid these placid joys that florent fell one september morning just as lisa stood in the doorway basking in the morning sun husband and wife were thoroughly upset gavard insisted that the convict as he called him should be concealed at once lisa paler and graver than usual showed him to a room on the fifth floor quenu cut some slices of bread and ham but florent could hardly eat he was utterly worn out and remained in bed for nearly a week with symptoms of brain fever which were energetically and successfully combated when he was better he saw lisa at his bedside with a spoon and cup in her hand he tried to thank her but she gently bade him keep quiet that he was not to talk at present when at last he was able to leave his bed and his room quenu came up for him and took him downstairs where they occupied a small suite consisting of three rooms and a closet there was first an unfurnished room, then a small salon, the furniture of which was always shrouded in white draperies, but dimly seen, as the curtains were closely drawn, that the light should not fade the pale blue of the walls. Then came the bedroom where they lived. This was comfortably furnished in mahogany. The bed was marvellous to behold, with its fine mattresses, its fine pillows, and its eider spread, and the air of absolute sleepiness which hung over it it was a bed in which it was impossible not to sleep the armoire glace, the toilette table the crochet cover on the guéridon the chairs protected by squares of guipure gave the place a look of bourgeois luxury against the wall on the left on either side of the chimney-piece which was ornamented with vases on brass stands and with a clock representing a gutenberg with his finger on his lip buried in thought were hung portraits in oil of quenu and lisa in oval and highly ornamented frames. Canu smiled. Lisa had quite a modish air. Both were in black, with very pink and white complexions. A moquette carpet, with complicated garlands of flowers intermingled with golden stars, concealed the polished floor. Before the bed lay one of those soft rugs made of ravelled carpet, the result of a patient labor of la belle Lisa as she sat behind her counter. A very odd effect was produced amid all these modern things by a gigantic secretary black with age which stood against the wall it had been varnished but nothing could rejuvenate it lisa wished to keep this piece of furniture which uncle gradel had used for more than forty years she said it would bring good luck it had a most formidable aspect with its enormous locks and was so heavy that it was almost impossible to move it when florent and quenu entered Lisa was seated before the let-down leaf of the secretary, writing. She was adding up long columns of figures in a hand that was round and very legible. She made a little sign to signify that they were not to speak to her. The two men sat down in silence. Florent looked around the room at the bed, the two portraits, and the clock. Now then, said Lisa, at last having verified her accounts, listen to me. We have some business to settle with you, my dear Florent. This was the first time she had thus addressed him. She continued, "'Your uncle Gradel died without a will. You and your brother were the two sole heirs. Today we are ready to give you your share.' "'But I ask nothing,' exclaimed Florent. "'In fact, I want nothing.' Canu was in ignorance of his wife's intention. He turned a little pale and looked at her with an air of vexation he was sincerely attached to his brother but it struck him as unnecessary to throw his uncle's money at him in this way i know very well dear florent resumed lisa that you did not come back with any intention of claiming that which belongs to you only business is business and we had best get through with it at once your uncle's savings amounted to eighty-five thousand francs i have therefore put down to your credit forty-two thousand five hundred francs please look at this and she showed him the paper. It is, unfortunately, not as easy to put a value on the shop, stock, and business. I can only guess at this, but I have put it all down at fifteen thousand three hundred and ten francs, which will give you seven thousand six hundred and fifty-five francs. Please add these columns up. And she gave him another sheet of paper. But, cried Quenu, the old man's shop was not worth fifteen thousand francs. I would not have given 10,000 for it. His wife exasperated him. It was folly to push honesty to such a point as this. Florent would never have thought of the shop. Why had she not let it alone? The shop was worth 15,310 francs, answered Lisa, in an imperturbable tone. You understand, my dear Florent, that it is unnecessary for us to employ a lawyer to arrange our matters? we are entirely ready to give you your share i thought of this as soon as you came and while you were ill i went over our accounts and i have made it all clear to myself and i hope to you ask any questions you please i have all the data here florent smiled he was touched by this probity he laid the paper on the lap of la belle lisa and took her hand in his my dear lisa he said i am happy to see that you are so prosperous "'But I do not want this money. "'You and my brother should be the sole heirs "'for you too took care of him to the last. "'I need nothing, "'and I do not wish to disturb your business.' "'She insisted, even became angry, "'while Canu sat gnawing his thumbs in vexed silence. "'Ah,' answered Florent, smiling, "'if Uncle Gradelle should hear you. "'He is quite capable of coming back to this world "'and taking his money again. "'He never liked me, you know.' no indeed he never liked you murmured quenu who could stand it no longer but lisa declared that she did not care to have the responsibility of money that was not her own and florent asked if she would not allow him to invest his money in her eating shop he added that he was quite willing to accept a little for immediate use as he needed an entire outfit of course said quenu you will live here you will eat and we will provide you with all you need that is understood quenu was quite touched and declared he would take on himself the duty of making his brother as fat as himself but florent shook his head lisa in the meantime had closed her account books and replaced them in the secretary you make a great mistake both of you she said firmly but i have done all i could now you must go your own way but pray let us have no arguments they worry me too much they discussed other matters now it was necessary to give some explanation of florent's return he told them that he had come back to france on the papers of a poor fellow who had died in his arms of yellow fever at suriname singularly enough this youth was also named florent florent la carrière and had only one cousin in paris nothing was easier than to assume this man's identity lisa agreed to be the cousin it was decided therefore that he should be described as the cousin returned from foreign parts and hospitably entertained by their quenu gradez as the household was called in the quartier until he could find a position that evening florent was freshly arrayed all in black contrary to the wishes of quenu who said that it was most dreary there was no attempt made to conceal the newcomer and lisa made constant allusions to her cousin he wandered from the shop to the kitchen and back again Quenu fretted at the table because he ate so little, and left on his plate half of what was placed there. Lisa was as calm and placid as ever. Did not in any way object to his presence, not even in the morning when he was really very much in the way. She forgot him, in fact, so entirely at times, that when he suddenly appeared before her, she started quickly. But this start was immediately followed by a sweet smile. She was very much impressed by the disinterestedness of this man, And felt for him great respect not unmingled with a vague fear florent enjoyed the affection by which he was surrounded at bedtime he went upstairs a little wearied by the emptiness of his day two youths employed in the shop inhabited attic rooms by the side of his own one of them leon the apprentice was not more than fifteen he was a real child who with the most innocent air in the world helped himself surreptitiously to every stray sausage or bit of meat on which he could lay his hand he hid them under his bed and ate them during the night many a time in the middle of the night florent fancied that leon was giving a supper he heard whispers and the noise of eating rustling of paper and a rippling laugh a child's laugh like the soft trill of a flageolet the other fellow auguste landois was from Troyes and very stout with an enormous head and bald although he was not twenty-eight the first evening that florent was there this fellow told his story in a long confused way he had only come to paris to learn the business and had intended to return shortly to where he intended to open an eating-house and where his cousin augustine landois was waiting for him they had had the same godparents and bore the same names but now he had been bitten by ambition and wished to settle in paris and there used to his advantage the small inheritance he had received from his mother auguste said many pleasant things of madame quenu he said she was most kind and had consented to his sending for augustine to take the place of a girl in her shop who had turned out ill he had learned his trade and now she was learning hers in a year or eighteen months they would marry and establish themselves somewhere in paris They were in no haste to marry, because business had not been good that year. He then told how they had been photographed together at a fête. He went into Florent's room to show his photograph, which he thought the girl had left behind when she vacated this room which had been hers. He held the candle high up as he said that Augustine would be much better off downstairs, for the attics were cold in winter. Then he went off, leaving Florent alone opposite the photograph. Auguste was only another quenu augustine and unripe lisa florent liked by these young men adored by his brother and quietly accepted by lisa was in fact utterly ennuyé. he had endeavored to obtain pupils but without success particularly as out of fear of being recognized he did not dare apply at any schools lisa gently suggested that he should apply to some mercantile houses for a position as corresponding clerk she adhered to this idea and finally offered to look for such a situation herself as she began to feel a certain annoyance at finding him lounging about and always under her feet at first she felt only a mild dislike for a person who folded his arms and waited for the bread to fall into his mouth she had not yet begun to reproach him in her own mind for eating of their food i could not swallow a mouthful she would say if i dreamed all day long as you do it would take away my appetite Gavard also looked for a situation for Florent, but his efforts were made in the most mysterious way. He wished, beside, to find something dramatic, some employment especially suited to a convict. Gavard was a man of the opposition. He was not much over fifty, but he boasted of having seen four governments. Charles X, the priests, and the nobles, he stigmatized as rabble. Louis-Philippe was an imbecile with his bourgeois talk, and he told the story of the woollen hose in which the citizen king concealed his money as to the republic of forty eight it was a farce wherein the workmen had been deceived he did not say however that he approved of the second of december because he now regarded napoleon the third as his personal enemy a man who shut himself up with de morny and that crew to commit all sorts of enormities he was extremely diffuse on this point and dropped his voice as he affirmed that every night close carriages filled with women drove to the tuileries and that he himself had often heard the noise of their orgies gavard's religion was to be as disagreeable as possible to the government he voted for the candidate which would be most embarrassing to the ministry and did his best to lead the police astray in any of their political investigations and to give them a most incendiary character he talked with an air of great importance as if the tuileries set had known and trembled before him and swore he could have half of them guillotined and the other half transported all his noisy political chatter was pervaded by the same spirit which induces a parisian shopkeeper to open his shutters on a day of a fight at the barricades to see the dead bodies consequently when florent returned from cayenne he immediately set himself to plan some way in which he might safely flout at the emperor and ministry and at all the men in office down to the very sergeants in the police force gavard gloried in florent's companionship it was like a forbidden pleasure he winked at him and told him the simplest thing in a sepulchral whisper and pressed his hand in the most significant way at last he had an adventure he had a companion who was really compromised and he was now able without making his statement out of whole cloth to talk of the danger that he run he felt a certain fear withal in the face of this man who had escaped from prison and whose haggard face and worn frame told of sufferings and privations but this fear was delicious after all and convinced him that he had really done an astonishing thing in welcoming as a friend a man who was as compromising as florent florent was now sacred to him he swore by florent and florent's name rose to his lips whenever he wished to give an instance of the importance of the government gavard had lost his wife some months after the coup d'etat but he kept his cookshop until eighteen fifty six at this time the belief was current that he had made considerable money in connection with a grocer in the neighborhood by furnishing dried fruits to the army in the east but the truth was that after he sold out his business he for a year lived on his income but he did not care to allude to the origin of his fortune for it prevented him from expressing his opinion of the crimean war which he stigmatized as an adventurous expedition invented merely to consolidate the throne and fill certain pockets at the end of a year he was frightfully bored by his bachelor life in quarters and as he was in the habit of calling on the quenu gradelles almost daily he ended by establishing himself very near them then the halles fascinated him and he determined to take a stall in the poultry market merely to fill up the emptiness of his days and to hear all the gossip of the market here he was in his element and enjoyed the constant chatter immensely florent often went there to see him the middle of the day was still warm the women sat picking their poultry in the sunshine the feathers looking like snow falling from their fingers questions and entreaties followed florent as he walked through the narrow path a fine pair of ducks sir come and let me show you chickens as fat as butter won't you buy this pair of pigeons he passed on with a half impatient frown and the woman picked all the faster the thick down filled the air already heavy with the odor of the poultry about the middle of the alley near the fountain was gavard in his shirt-sleeves his arms folded over the bib of his blue apron holding forth to ten or more women over whom he reigned he being the only man in the poultry market he had quarrelled with five or six girls one after the other whom he had employed to keep his stall and finally decided to sell his merchandise himself saying that these fools spent their whole day in chattering as it was necessary however that someone should take his place when he was away he engaged marjolin who was generally out of a situation florent was always amused and always astonished at gavard's incessant chatter and at his entire self-possession among all these petticoats, interrupting one, quarrelling with another ten stalls off, making more noise himself than did all the others put together. Gavard's family consisted only of a sister-in-law and a niece. When his wife died, her elder sister, Madame Lecoeur, who had been a widow for a year, was perfectly inconsolable, and went every evening to console the bereaved and miserable husband. She unquestionably had at that time the idea of becoming the successor of the dear deceased. But Gavard hated thin women, thin cats, and thin dogs. And Madame Lecoeur, furious at seeing the comfortable fortune slip through her fingers, absolutely hated him, and soon learned to regard her brother-in-law as her absolute enemy. She occupied herself entirely with his comings and goings, When she saw him take this stall, only a few steps from the place where she sold butter, cheese, and eggs, she accused him of having done it merely to tease her and bring her ill luck. She made such a fuss and took this so much to heart that she ended by losing much of her custom. For some time she had with her daughter one of her sisters, a peasant woman. The child grew up in the midst of the market. As her family name was Sariette, she was soon called La Sariette at sixteen la Sarriette was so bewilderingly beautiful that gentlemen went to buy her cheese merely to look at her she cared little for these gentlemen she claimed to be of the people and made her selection from among them it was a porter whom this brunette with a virgin-like face and starry eyes a porter whom she chose at twenty she was established at the isle as a fruit merchant and her lover Monsieur jules wore the freshest of blouses and a velvet cap and sauntered into the market late in the day they lived together in la rue vauvilleur on the third floor of a great house la sarriette's ingratitude was the last touch of bitterness in the cup of madame lecoeur who reproached her niece vehemently they quarrelled the niece amused herself at her aunt's expense with monsieur jules who repeated all her witticisms at market gavard thought la sarriette very droll and showed himself full of indulgence toward her He tapped her on her cheek when he met her. She was plump and had a skin like satin. One afternoon, as Florent was in the shop, greatly fatigued by the long walk he had taken, Marjolin came in. This great, stolid fellow was Lisa's especial protege. She said he was not bad in any way, that he was a little dull, possibly, but that his strength was almost incredible, that he was a treasure to his employers. It was she who, insisting that he had neither father nor mother, had induced Gavard to take him into his employment. Lisa was at the counter, annoyed by the dirty shoes of Florent which had left spots on the marble tessellated floor. Twice she had thrown down sawdust. She smiled at Marjolin, who said in a low, mysterious whisper, looking around to see that he was not heard, Monsieur Gavard wishes me to say just these words to you. "'Is there any danger, and can he talk with you on matters that you know of?' "'Say to Monsieur Gavard that we shall expect him.' answered lisa so accustomed to his mysterious ways that she was quite undisturbed by them but marjolin still lingered with adoring eyes fixed on the fair mistress of the establishment touched by this silent adoration she said i hope you give entire satisfaction to monsieur gavard he is a good man and you must try and please him yes madame lisa she turned away to wait on a lady who had come to buy a pound of au cornichon. She left the counter and went to the chopping-block at the back of the shop where, with a sharp knife, she cut three cutlets from a piece of pork. Then, with a wooden mallet, she gave the cutlets each three sharp, decisive blows. All this Lisa did with a rather serious air. When the lady was gone, Lisa was astonished to see that Marjolin was still there. What? Not gone? she said. He turned to depart, but she detained him. Listen to me, she said hastily i saw you and cadine together again this morning and i really cannot understand how a good-looking fellow like yourself can waste so much time or be seen with that little scapegrace that is all go quickly and tell Monsieur gavard that he can come here at once while there is no one here marjolin went off with an air of confusion while la belle lisa stood leaning on her counter and looking out toward the hall florent gazed at her wonderstruck at her beauty before her on white china plates were sausages from al and Lyon, tongues and small square bits of salt pork a pig's head surrounded with jelly boxes of sardines floating in oil blood-red hams and hams that were pale rose in hue galantine truffer boar's heads au pistache and in yellow pots pâté de foie and pâté de lièvre as gavard did not come she mechanically rearranged these dishes and then again waited the whiteness of her cuffs and her apron rivalled the whiteness of her dishes florent looked at her reflection in the mirrors even on the ceiling he saw her he was in fact surrounded with a crowd of lisas all as plump and as placid as the meats before her gavard appeared and at once went to find quenu in the kitchen and then returning to the shop he announced in the presence of lisa quenu and florent that he had found a situation for the latter He interrupted himself, however, in the full tide of his discourse on seeing mademoiselle Saget appear. She from the sidewalk had caught a glimpse of the little circle. The old lady, in her faded dress and carrying, as usual, her shabby black reticule, wearing a black straw bonnet, guiltless of ribbons, which threw a heavy shadow on her pale face, smiled at Lisa and bowed slightly to the men. This little old lady was an enigma to the neighborhood, although she had lived forty years in la rue Pirouette she never said where she came from though once she made an incautious allusion to cherbourg as if she were born there but this was all no one knew more she talked incessantly but only of other people knew the most intimate details of their daily life peeped into the letters and listened at the doors of her neighbors her tongue was dreaded throughout the quartier where she roamed all day long with her empty reticule pretending that she was buying her provisions but in reality buying nothing but picking up all sorts of gossip quenu had always declared her to be the person who had spread the story of uncle Gradelle's dying in the kitchen she had always felt an extreme interest in uncle Gradelle and the quenus and for a fortnight had suffered agonies of curiosity from florent's arrival she felt certain that she had seen him somewhere she stood before the counter and looked first at one dish and then at another i declare she said it is impossible to know what to eat nowadays i really have no appetite have you any breaded cutlets madame without waiting for a reply she raised a cover yes mademoiselle saget said lisa i think i have one cutlet left well never mind said the old lady i think a breaded cutlet is almost too heavy this evening besides I should rather have something I should not be obliged to warm up. She drew nearer Florent as she spoke and looked first at him and then at Gavard, who was beating a devil's tattoo on the marble table. Why don't you have a bit of this salt pork? asked Lisa. A bit of pork, yes, I suppose. And she took up a fork and tried the thickness of each piece in the plate. And yet, I do not know. Then take a tongue, a bit of the head, or a slice of larded veal answered lisa patiently but mademoiselle sagette shook her head and made a little face of disgust at each one of the dishes and coming to the conclusion that she should discover nothing she departed saying she should come in another day lisa watched her cross the street and enter a fruit stall and then turning to gavard she said quietly go on gavard began to describe the place he had found for florent there was quite a little story attached to it one of his friends, M. Valoc, inspector of fish, was out of health and was obliged to take a vacation. The poor man had said to him that very morning that he wished to find a substitute himself, so that in case he was cured, he could have his place back again. "'You understand,' said Gavard, "'that in my opinion, Valocq won't live six months. If Florent is satisfactory, he can keep the place, and it will be delicious to bamboozle the police. Think of Florent having money from these people.' this view of the situation struck him as so deliciously comic that he burst into a shout of laughter i do not wish this position said florent i have sworn to accept nothing from the empire i would die with hunger rather than do it it is absolutely impossible gavard do you hear gavard heard and was far from pleased quenu was silent also but lisa turned and looked at florent whose nostrils dilated with indignation as he spoke At this moment, La Sarriette came. "'I forgot to buy some pork,' she cried. "'Madame Quenu, cut me twelve slips, very slender, for my larks. Jules wants some larks today.' She seemed to fill the shop with her rustling skirts. She smiled at every one in succession. Gavard took her hand in his, and she said boldly, "'You were talking of me, uncle, when I came in. I know it well.' Lisa called her. "'Are these slips slender enough?' she said and as she wrapped them in paper she added do you want anything else yes as long as i am here you may give me a pound of leaf lard for i adore fried potatoes my best breakfast is a bunch of radishes and two sous worth of fried potatoes lisa put a sheet of stout paper on the scales she took the lard from a pot with a wooden spatula and weighed out the pound she gave the paper a deft twist twenty-four sous she said is there anything more la sarriette shook her head and laughed with a glance at the men she wore a shabby gray gown and a red fichu loosely knotted around her throat before she went out she shook her finger lightly at gavard saying then you won't tell me what you were talking about when i came in i saw you all laughing i think you very selfish to keep all your fun to yourself she left the shop and ran across the street La belle Lisa said dryly, Mademoiselle Saget sent her. Gavard was considerably disturbed by Florent's reception of his proposition and would not speak. It was Lisa who broke the silence by saying, in a friendly voice, You are wrong, Florent, in refusing this position. You know how hard it is to find employment in these days. You should not be so fastidious. I have given my reasons, he answered. She shrugged her shoulders. Yes, she replied. I know very well that you do not like the government, but that is no reason why you should refuse to earn your bread. And after all, the emperor is not a bad man. My dear, do you suppose he knew that you eat moldy bread and spoiled meat? He can't know everything, of course. You are unjust. Gavard rebelled at hearing these faint praises of the emperor. No, no, Madame Quenu. He exclaimed, You are going too far. They are a set of rascals. Oh, interrupted Lisa, you are never happy unless you are talking politics, and I hate them. They always make me angry. Besides, they have nothing to do with Florent. What have you to say, Quenu? Quenu cautiously replied to his wife's abrupt questions. It would be a very good thing, perhaps. And another long silence fell on the little circle. Pray," said florent at last pray say no more about this my mind is made up i will wait you will wait cried lisa out of all patience the colour rose to her cheeks and she clenched her hands over her white apron to restrain her quick words another person came in at the same moment it was madame lecoeur can you give me a mixed plate for fifty sous per pound she said pretending not to see her brother-in-law as she spoke "'Afterward she gave him a careless nod "'and then scrutinized the three men, "'hoping, perhaps, to discover from their expressions "'the wonderful secret they were discussing. "'She saw that she was intruding, "'but she enjoyed the knowledge, "'which only made her more rigid and angular "'in her scanty skirts. "'Her spider-like arms and bony hands "'were folded under her apron. "'She coughed slightly. "'You have a cold,' said Gavard, "'in order to break the awkward silence. "'She answered with a curt no,' her skin was brick-red when it was stretched over her high cheekbones. this and a certain odd look about her eyes and lids indicated some disease of the liver she turned to the counter watched by lisa who had not the most absolute faith in the honesty of her customer do not give me any of the brains said madame lecoeur i do not like them lisa had taken a sharp knife and cut some slices of sausage she then went to the smoked ham And to that which was only salted and took off some delicate pieces her white dimpled hands performed their task deftly she lifted a cover and said do you want some of the larded veal madame lecoeur deliberated for a few moments upon this weighty point and then nodded an assent lisa took out a slice of larded veal and then of a pate of hare's feet and she laid each slice on the paper on the scales you have not given me any of the boar's head or pistache said madame Lecoeur in her disagreeable voice. Lisa was willing to give some of the boar's head, but when the woman insisted on two slices of galantine, she became impatient, and told her frankly that the galantine had truffles, and she could only add it to the mixed plates, which she sold at a higher price. When the things were weighed, the woman insisted on a slice of jelly and some pickled cucumbers, which Lisa, with hands trembling with indignation, added impatiently it is twenty-five sous i believe said madame lecoeur enjoying lisa's irritation and slowly pulling out her sous from her pocket and glaring at gavard who was swearing under his breath at her prolonged stay at last she departed with one long lingering look as soon as she had gone lisa burst out and la saget sent her too i wonder if that old woman intends to send all the hall here to find out what we are saying how silly they are who ever heard of buying such things as breaded cutlets and mixed plates at this hour but they would rather give themselves a fit of indigestion than not know but if la sagesse sends in any one else you will see what i will do chapter two part two